This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello, everybody. It's the Hockey News Podcast. Matt Larkin here with Ken Campbell and Ryan Kennedy. It's still the dog days of summer. I mean, I guess that applies more to baseball than hockey. There's nothing going on in hockey right now, very little. Some arbitration here, a couple extensions. But we think it's still a fun time to do more reader questions. So this will be the second ever all-reader question edition of the podcast. Reader questions, reader questions. Reader questions. (laughs) That's the jingle. We just made it up on the spot. It's a real jingle. Yes, it's it's real. It's licensed. Uh, We're going to start with Brandon Gallardo. He's a Florida Panthers fan, FL Panther fan 88. And Brandon asks, the Panthers had the third best record in the NHL after the All-Star break last season. With the addition of Mike Hoffman, could they make a deep playoff run? Maybe they want to start by getting back to the playoffs. Right, yes. right. That might be, that might be a, good, a good goal. But do you a, see an, deep? A, an admirable goal. Well, first of all, the first thing I want to say is I put zero stock, zero, like l- less than zero, into teams that are out of it that finish strong. Like Arizona. Um, yeah, like I, I put no stock into that. That has no bearing on what they're going to do the next season. Bad teams do it all the time. And usually it's a team that has nothing to play for, no pressure. They just go out and play and have fun, and they find themselves winning a bunch of games. So I, I don't think that that's a bellwether at all for how they're going to do this year. And I don't know. Does, like, does like adding Mike Hoffman to you scream to you Stanley Cup contender? It doesn't to me. I mean, he's a good player. He, he'll get 25, 28, maybe 30 goals in a, in a perfect world. Um, you know, and, and it'll go a long way towards replacing the Riley, Marcia, so Yager goals that they lost from the year before. But I don't know if adding Mike Hoffman equals long playoff run. Right. The only thing I'd say, though, I would not put the Panthers into the category of team that won a bunch of garbage time games because that, that's more Arizona, right? Yeah, yeah. Whereas, whereas Florida was... They missed the playoffs by one point. They were right in it. They were yeah. battling, playing meaningful yeah. games all season, or all second half, mm-hmm. and they got eliminated in the final <clears> weekend <throat> of the season. So to me, that's different. Um, and I think they also really discovered some nice balance on their lines once they moved Huberto down to the second line with Vincent Trocek. You had Dadanov and Bukestad on, on the top line with Barkov, and they were on fire in the second half. And now you're adding Hoffman to that top six. Um, they're playing in the Atlantic Division, which has some teams that can be bullied at the bottom, right? Montreal, Ottawa, probably Detroit. Um, so I think the Panthers can pad their record playing those teams. Um, I think the Panthers are definitely getting back to the playoffs. You do, eh? I, because... I don't think they're cup contenders, but I think they're going to be pretty decent this year. Okay, but but it's as the fourth seed in the in the Atlantic. Yeah, as oh, the fourth sure. seed, it's not. You know, they're not jumping ahead any of the top no. three, right? Yeah, I think they're, they're, they're going to be number four. They yeah, might play. Yeah. They might play Tampa in the first round, yeah. someone like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely see them as the four seed playing Tampa in the first round and probably getting their butts kicked, but it being good experience, I think Barkoff is going to be his beastly self. You know, if, if you haven't realized it by now, Alexander Barkoff, pretty good. Uh, my big question is they have a pretty aging goaltending core right now. Oh, yeah. So you're going to get... More growth from Barkov, Bukestad, Trocek, Huberto, you know, that, that whole good young core of kids. You got a pretty decent defense core headlined by your neck, Blad. You know, you got Yandel, you got Michael Matheson. But will the goaltending be enough? Because when you get into that, that sort of mushy middle they're in right now, it really is one point 
difference between in the playoffs and out. And you're right. probably going to be fighting a Metro team for the, the wild card spot. So can they get enough? I, I think they can do it because I think, you know, if they're all healthy, they're, those, those big horses up front are going to start peaking. Can they go far? I don't, I don't think so. And I don't think, as you said, I don't think Mike Hoffman moves the needle in that regard. He'll score you goals. He's not much of a, a defensive threat. Um, but I think it'll be good experience for this group to at least get in again and sniff that 83rd game. And I think in the games that Luongo played, if I'm not mistaken, he was pretty lights out last year. He was year. very good last year. He was very year, good yeah. last oh, year, yeah. which tells me that this, in order for this to work, this has to be a platoon situation between these two guys. Like, yeah. like it's like the Roberto Luongo can't play sixty games next. No, year. his body. He's got to play. Age. He's got to play. You 45. know, forty-one, and, and yeah. the other guy, and Reimer's got to play forty-one or whatever. Yeah. And I think it's the same thing with Mark Andre Fleury. You know, he had he played forty-six games last year, and he had the best numbers of his career. Mm. So I think you know, especially now with four years to go on this deal, he's another guy that I think mm. you've got to find a guy who's not even a really good backup. You've got to find a guy who's almost like a 1A yeah. to play with him. And that's, mm. I think that's what is going to happen, ha- have to happen for Florida to, you know, to make up some of that ground. Mm. Interesting. You know, it's crazy. Even though, it, you know, it's teammate speak, you have to take it with a grain of salt. But uh, at the awards, I was doing a Barkov story, Barkov interview, but I talked to Luongo and he told me, that Barkov, in his mind, is a top five player in the world. Wow. Which is, you know, again, teammates speak, but the fact that yeah. he put him that high, it still yeah. speaks volumes, even if he's mm-hmm. top 20. But I think people are going to start realizing soon that Barkov is world class, and he's still going to keep growing. So He's baby Kopitar. Yeah, he's baby Kopitar. Or he might just be adult Kopitar now. Yeah, knows, yeah. Right? Uh, next question is from Matt Boehringer, or Boehringer, who knows. Uh, and Matt says... Who is your very early Calder Trophy <clears throat> favorite? Razzles Dahlin? Can Casey Middlestat make a strong case? So Matt's thinking Buffalo Sabres. Who are we thinking? I'm thinking Elias Pettersson myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, the guy's done everything but playing the NHL and be a really good player to this point. Mm. Um, you know, I think he's going to get a really good opportunity in Vancouver. I think he's going to get lots of minutes. He's going to get lots of big minutes. He's going to get lots of different kinds of minutes. Um, and somebody's got to do the scoring there. And, you know, I find on, on, like, a lot of times on, on bad teams, players have a chance to be more of a, an offensive juggernaut because mm-hmm. somebody's got to play on the power play, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, I, think, I think that's going to be the case. I think the combination of the fact that he's super skilled, can score, you know, is ready to play in the NHL, and the situation that he's mm-hmm. in, you know, is another thing is it really sort of is, is the perfect storm. You know, you look at a guy like Leah Sanderson, for example, um, he's going to be the third line, probably the third line center. And I mean, not probably, he's going to be the yeah. third line center in New York. So what does that mean? Does that mean that he's not going to play enough to get the numbers? Or does that mean his minutes are going to be so sheltered that he is in fact going to mm. be able to do a, a lot, mm. you know, playing online with Philip Keitel and whoever's on the right hand side of that line or mm. whatever, but for me, it's Leah Sanderson at the moment. You mean Pedersen? Leah Sanderson. Yeah, yeah. Not Leah Sanderson. I like Pedersen as an option. I, I do like Casey Middlestat for a lot of the same reasons. Yeah. You know, he'll he'll get kind of sheltered because you're going to want to try to shut down Jack Eichel's line if you're playing Buffalo. So Middlestat will get a little more wiggle room there, um, and he will get some good opportunities. He's got the skill, and just like Vancouver, you know, Buffalo. Obviously, they want to improve, but I think they're pretty. You know, uh, 
realistic with their goals this season. It's, it's get better. It's not win the Stanley Cup this mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. The other name I'll toss out is Miro Heiskanen in Dallas. And I think this is a different kind of Calder candidate because I don't necessarily see him putting up, you know, 50 points from the blue line. Um, Barrett Jackman won the Calder Trophy. Barrett Jackman won the Calder <laughs> Trophy, yeah. I mean, Aaron Ekblad won the Calder Trophy as yeah. well. And, and he's more well-rounded than, than Jackman was. But I think Heskinen, with his skills, with his, his smarts, I, I think he will get points in Dallas. But I think, you know, if, if people are watching him enough, they will see a guy that has the opportunity to make a big impact. And if, if nobody has a big offensive year, like if Pedersen and Middlestat and you know, Svechnikov, Zadina, whoever it is, if those guys only get like 50, 55 points this year and Heskinen can get, say, 40 but play 22 minutes or something, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if Dallas will burden him with that, but he can probably take it on, um, then I think he might be a good dark horse candidate. It's interesting, too, that we're not even talking about Rasmus Dahlin. And I'm sort of in the same boat. And I, I do think Dahlin's going to be great, but I just think historically – People don't always understand how difficult it is for a teenage defenseman to be dominant. Right. Yeah. And like Ekblad's season was borderline historic, and I think Ek, I think only one defenseman has had more than forty points as an eighteen-year-old rookie, and it was Phil Housley. But right. he also played a bit of forward that right, season. Right, right, and right, I think right. Bobby Orr might have been right on forty. No, he was so like thirty-nine or yeah, yeah, so, Ekblad. Yeah, yeah. So like, if if Rasmus Dahlin has a ten-goal, thirty-five-point season, that's a massive success. Yeah. Uh, so I think people are you know may have to temper their expectations. I still think he'll be a good rookie. I pers- I, I like I like Pedersen and Middlestad as well. But another guy I'm keeping my eye on is I think the rookie with the most to prove, the angriest rookie, and the guy who's probably already the most talented forward on his own team is Philip Zadina in Detroit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think Detroit, there's you know Ken uh, Ken Holland has already talked about wanting rookies in the lineup this yeah. year, which is yeah. interesting to hear from Ken Holland. That, that's a shift in philosophy, I think for what we're used to from the Red Wings. So to me, it sounds like Zadina's going to get a lot of opportunities, including power play time. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm keeping a close eye on Zadina as well. Yeah, interesting, because yeah. it was the same with Dylan Larkin a couple of years ago. And I know that in Detroit, I know, what Ken, I know what Ken Holland's philosophy is on this. He'll play as long as he's playing. As soon as he's down to seven minutes a game or being a healthy scratch, he's done. Mm. He's, he's out. And, and so as long as he can merit those minutes and keep playing well the way Dylan Larkin did, getting those kinds of minutes, he's, he's going he's gonna to continue to play. So. Right. And, and, Ryan, just to make sure I have this right, though, Zadina coming from Major Junior, though, Detroit's going to have to make that decision after nine games. Or was he considered a loan to Halifax? Or well, was he yeah, I think it seems to be up in the air right now. Right. I think he might be AHL eligible. Well, so kind of like Nikolai Ehlers was. Or no, Ehlers wasn't. Julia, well, Julius Honka is I, the, the good example right, where right. the way the loan agreements work – um, sometimes you you kind of have to go AHL, or at least you have that option because of it, it's it's weird kind of paperwork stuff. But yeah, you have to look into whether he was loaned or you know was it like leaving the European team and coming to a major junior team. So I think that's one of those situations where. I feel like I heard that he could play AHL this year. Well, I think it's actually I think it's it's up in the air right now, and I Still think up in I think there? I think the NHL has to make a ruling on it. Uh-huh. It's one of those gray areas whether or not he was assigned or loaned uh, or whatever yeah. it was. And you know, obviously, you know the Halifax Mooseheads and the CHL and the QMJ, QMJHL are saying 
he's ours, and, yeah. and the Red Wings probably think otherwise. Right. And Halifax um, hosts the Memorial Cup. Yeah, exactly. So, right. so they're yeah, probably yeah. like, we want a bet. So he played for two seasons with in the Czech League before going to Halifax. Mm. So I guess it depends on whether he's a European player on loan yeah. or, you know, whatever. So I, I guess it's a matter of semantics, and the NHL is going to be the one that determines it. And yeah, they'll have I'm to not, look I'm not at sure if that's actually good. very fair to, to Halifax and the CHL, yeah. that the NHL's basically saying what, what rights the kid Ooh, has. But yeah. yeah, yeah. so we'll see if it comes into play. It depends on how he does in those first nine games. Yeah. Um, next question is from Dylan Wheaton. Dylan asks, which teams will make the biggest jump in the standings in their respective divisions, and which teams will make the biggest fall? Mm. I think we, based on our, I mean, you guys will be seeing it come out pretty soon in our yearbook, Standings predictions, the team that made the biggest jump for us seems to be the Calgary Flames. Mm-hmm. Yep. Are you guys mm-hmm. still in agreement that Calgary's going to be the biggest mover and shaker? I would think oh, so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're going to get some, some lower teams like Arizona who might have more of a points jump, mm-hmm. but that's kind of at the more bottom end of the division. But I, I think the Calgary Flames, they really seem to have honed things. And, you know, I, I think... With Bill Peters coming in, I, th- I think he'll be able to better utilize the talent that's already there, and you're going to get some good growth. So it, it feels like Calgary would be. Yeah, I mean, right it took it took 95 points to make the playoffs in the West last year, and Calgary had 84. So if we're picking them to make the playoffs, we think they're going to get somewhere between 95 and 100 points. Right, and we, right? we have so them that's, going high. That's yeah, and so. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of room for growth. <laughs> I think they're because a hundred, they're a hundred they had, point team. As yeah, yeah, well, if they're a hundred point team, then yeah, yeah, I mean, they're up sixteen points, right? right? Yeah. So, so I mean, yeah, that's that's legitimate, and there is that room to grow because they, not necessarily because they're going to be so great, but because they're going to be so much better than they were last year when they really disappointed people. Yeah, I, you know, I I think I think you know the the good the good news story about next year for Calgary is that they're going to be so much better, but. I mean, it's compared to a team that really, really fabulously underachieved. Right, and I think like before you even factor in all the additions Calgary made, they were, they were pretty unlucky last year with Monaghan getting hurt in so yeah. many different ways and Brony concussed, uh, Matthew Kachuk concussed, Mike Smith really good until he was hurt. So mm-hmm. just on, on better injury luck alone, I think we're going to see a better Calgary team than you factor in Derek Ryan and you've got uh, Noah Hannafin coming in and James Neal, Lance Lindholm, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I do think, and, and also the Pacific Division to me is just, and also funny, my pick for the team that's going to fall might come from the Pacific too. The division is so wide open. I think it's yeah. the hardest division to forecast this year because yeah. who knows what Vegas is going to do for an encore. Yeah. To me, San Jose is the only safe, predictable team in that division. Like, they'll be solid. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, LA is a team that I'm, mm. I'm watching closely and wondering if they're going to disappoint big time this year because they have not shown signs of evolving. And the Kovalchuk signing to me, as we said before, doubling down on the lack of speed. Yeah. Not, yeah. That, I'm not that I don't think Kovalchuk is slow, but just he's a big, big dude, and he's in his yeah. mid-30s. He's not going to be a burner no, coming exactly. back, right? Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. To me, L.A. is a team. I mean, he was a, he was a, star, a superstar player in a league that's on par with the American League. So yeah. how, do you, how do you translate that over into coming back to the NHL? I mean, for a guy like Yager, it was like, yeah, he's still really good. You know? Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, uh, another team I'd say in the East is Buffalo. Um, they had nowhere to go but up, <laughs> but I mean, sixty-two points last season. Obviously, they're going to be better than that. So I, I think if you're talking about a team making a jump, you know, I could see Buffalo finishing. You know, maybe like sixth, maybe yeah, I think even fifth. fifth. Yeah, 
And I mean, they're not they're not gonna. I don't think they're gonna sniff a playoff spot this year. But I mean, you could they see easily. One. No, they won't. They might. Nah, they probably won't sniff one. No, right? they might see one off in the distance. <laughs> yeah. But it, but it they'd won't, be like, is that a playoff spot? They won't spot? be able to smell it. They won't no. be able to smell it from no. where they are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe, Maybe if they're yeah. downwind. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I could see them like increasing like 15 points in the state. Oh yeah, I think easily. so. I got them around 85. Just if you look at rookies alone. You're gonna have Middlestad and Darlene making a big impact. You've, yeah. You've added Carter Hutton in net. You've added Connor Sheary. And again, with Bobby Phil Housley coaching. He's already been there for a season now. I feel we've seen this with a couple of coaches lately where season two is where their philosophies really take hold because the guys know what to expect. Right. John Tortorella at Columbus and Jared Bednar in, in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Exactly. exactly. I also wonder, I worry a bit about the Minnesota Wild. Because yeah. you look, a yeah. lot of their best yeah. players are over 30 years old. Mm-hmm. So Eric Stahl scored 42 goals. He's 33 years old now. Miko Koi was 35. Ryan Suter, that ankle injury is pretty a pretty bad injury. Yeah. And he's in his mid-30s, expected to play huge minutes. Mm-hmm. And the Wild, based on their cap situation, they added nothing in the offseason. So right. they're just rolling with the same team. They're crossing their fingers. Yeah, it just that seems stale there. They it, seem just, stale. it seems stale. Yeah. It, yeah. Seems like, <clears throat> it seems tired right. to me. And if yeah. they're rookie, I mean, if, I mean, they were rookies last year, but if Joel Erickson, I mean, he had a, Pretty bad rookie season, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, at least offensively disappointed. So, sure, if he's going to be better, and Luke Cunning, but Luke Cunning's coming off a really bad knee injury. Mm-hmm. And Jordan, Jordan, Jordan Greenway, physical. Good thing about Jordan Greenway is he can work even if he's in a checking role because he's just a big monster. And is, is yeah. Jason Zucker going to be as good as he was last year ever again? Maybe. It's hard to say, but, Maybe, but he's good. Yeah, but even yeah. if he's good, it's more like the Wild to me just look stagnant at best and yeah. I know that meant, that yeah. means in the playoffs but I, yeah. I worry they're going to slip out it feels like they're waiting for their old guys to retire yeah right yeah. Right. and yeah. even in their division alone like Dallas or, or St. Louis is so much better this year so I could see the Blues ascending and taking yeah. the wild spot and, and I think a couple of other teams and to Dallas. look at it. obviously Dallas, yeah. obviously are New Jersey I think a lot of people are wondering or thinking that that might have been a one year sort of wonder sort of thing yeah and if it is you know they might they might go down um, I'm gonna throw a team out there. Hot take. I can feel it coming. I can smell it. Vegas. Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. Only because they had 109 points last year. <laughs> so if they go down to 96, yeah, that's a fair. That's, it's still that's, double that's, digit. That's, yeah, it's yeah. still a double digit fall. So yeah. I, I think you know maybe they might be in for a bit of a reality check as well. Yeah. Still a playoff team. Yeah. 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 And but, even though they've added Paul Stastny, they their wings are a lot weaker now with that with Neil and Perron gone. Yeah. Right, so unless they move, I guess I know Eric Hall. Eric Hall can play wing oh, or whatever, but yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> next, okay, this I just realized based on the Twitter handle, I guess this is a loaded question. Go Jets, go says, have the Habs ever been in such a hopeless state as they are <laughs> in now? Yes, they have. Yes, they have. I, okay, oh. Ken, you're the Habs historian, so in 1903. Well, no, in the 19- tell us the story, Daddy. Well, you know, I mean, it's 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 easy to think that you know the Habs have always been this powerhouse team that you know won all these Stanley Cups and everything well in the 1940s they were terrible they were terrible they were finishing in last place in fact the Montreal Canadiens came ever so close to being moved to Cleveland if you can believe it wow. in the 1940s because there were two teams in Montreal then there was the Maroons and the Canadians uh-huh. and basically one of them was going to survive and the other one wasn't and for a while there it was looking like maybe the Canadians might be the team that hits the skids and they wow. came very close to being moved to Cleveland in the 1940s. They were finishing in last place. That, this was before Kenny Reardon, Rocket Richard, Butch Bouchard. They started to get a real influx of Quebec-born players. 
who really sort of energized him, and then you know it was off to the races from there. Late forties, fifties, not sixties, seventies. But people forget that in the forties they were a terrible team, and they almost were moved. So there's your history lesson for today. Wow. Kids. Wouldn't it be funny if they were? Look like, it up on your Google. On what, your Google. One of you teams has to move to Cleveland. Which one has a C on your jersey? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The M doesn't work. Yeah. We can't do the M. Yeah. It's it's interesting to me because even though. You know, like you said, Ken, times were, were bad in those early 40s years. Relative to league size, I assume at the time there was still the expectation that, well, you know, we can turn this around fast because, you know, four teams are going to get in the playoffs. Right. Uh, and, you know, there's going to be turnover year over yeah, year. Ask, year. Ask, ask the Chicago Blackhawks how that worked. Yeah, yeah really. But the they're fans at the Bruins time, but they probably, at the, the time, New York Rangers they had hope. <laughs> they had hope at the time. Yeah. Like, the fans didn't know that it was not going to work, yeah. right? Yeah. So I wonder yeah. now, like, to me, in the, the current era, Victory seems so far away for the Habs, especially because I still think they haven't even hit bottom. They're, they're in yeah, they're still, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and the funny thing is, if Carey Price is healthy this season, it might actually hurt the Habs because he's going to help. He's going to steal some games for them and mm. keep them from really bottoming out and getting more ping pong balls. And I, and again, even at the management level, I don't know if if Mark Bergevin is willing to admit or Jeff Molson is willing to admit that they want ping pong balls. Right. It's, no, no, we've got Jonathan Duran, we've got, you know, Shea Weber's going to come back healthy halfway through the year. He's still a good player, even though we're going to be paying him until the year 2050, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know. I, I, I think that there's a unique type of hopelessness going on in Montreal right oh now God, like, because they're years watch from what, being even bad. Watch how you're talking because I can see what people that cheer for Montreal getting – you know, like hopelessly depressed right now. <laughs> <laughs> I got. I have a half serious theory that I I've been thinking about for a long time now, and I I'm mostly oh, joking. Here, I'm here mostly joking here. <laughs> when Mark Bergevin was a player in the NHL, he was known as one of the biggest practical jokers. Like he's punking everyone now. What if his management <laughs> career is an, just one elaborate ruse, where he's like, "Can you believe I traded PK Subban for Shea Weber? I ran Max Pacioretty out of town. I traded away Mikhail Sergachev before he even got, got the league." And they let me do it all. This is amazing. Like maybe Jeff Molson spilled a drink on him like twenty years ago, and he's oh, like, "I'm gonna get that guy back." It's like in uh, the Dumb and Dumber, the terrible Dumb and Dumber sequel, where Jim Carrey's been in a catatonic state for 20 years, and he's like, gotcha! <laughs> <laughs> you were fine this whole time? Yeah, I was. <laughs> and Mark Bridgman also threw a puck in his own net one time in the he did. playoff game. He did. Yeah. Wow. He absolutely did. Yeah. yeah. Tossed it right in. <laughs> he tried to throw I remember talking to Darius Kasparaitis <laughs> one year during the playoffs in Pittsburgh, and he was talking about that. And he said, yeah, I just, because Bergevin was playing for Pittsburgh then, he, I said, he says he was coming back into the lineup after being injured, and he's, yeah, yeah, like, I, I just hope that, uh, you know, I can help the team and maybe not throw the puck in the net. <laughs> and, like, and we all stood, sat there, like, like, for about a second and a half. There was, there was, nobody said anything, and then it was just like, ah! <laughs> Everybody just started laughing. Awesome. Uh, next one's from Jared Brown. Jared asks, or says, the Jack Adams Award seems to be awarded to the coach who defied everyone's expectations. Is there a better way to measure a coach's contribution that isn't a resounding, we were all wrong? Mm. How was it done in the past, and was it always an award for the unexpected? Well, it's hard, it's hard to, to comment on this because we don't vote on it. The broadcasters vote on this award. Mm. So, um, so I'm not sure what their but, – but, I mean, the, 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 the pattern, the historical pattern suggests that uh, – 
What's the young fellow's name? This, this uh, that uh, the guy asked the question. The question. Jared, Jared Brown. Jared Brown. The, the the historical pattern suggests that Jared Brown is right. However, it wasn't always that way. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, Scotty Bowman won in seventy six, seventy seven. You know, the, the Canadians had won two cups by that time. Right. They were in the no, sorry, they had won one cup by that time. That was the second cup of the four. Um, you know, Al Arbor seventy nine. Pat Quinn, 79-80. Actually, that was a good one because they won, they won like 38 games or something undefeated that year. Um, so I, it's a bit of a mixed bag, but it seems to me that in recent years, it has certainly gone to the guy that has exceeded expectation. And I guess the only other way is like just to award, you know, sustained excellence, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. I mean Mike Babcock never won it when he was a coach of Detroit, yeah. you know? I mean, some of these guys that have just coached teams that have been really good for a long time. John Cooper's never won it either. Yeah, John Cooper's never Mm. won it. So I think part of the problem, and I think one thing that could definitely change it, would be to have the vote after the playoffs. Mm. Would it just go to the cup-winning coach every year, though? Well, it might. It might. It might. But but it also would save some embarrassment sometimes when a guy – you know, has a great season, and then his team gets swept four straight in the first round. He ends up yeah. winning the Adams, right? Yeah. Right, and also, or the guy who, who wins the Adams and gets fired a year or two later. And I think that's the problem. When you give the coach, the, the guy who coached the most improved yeah. team, it's a team that was only a year removed from being pretty bad. Yeah. And then yeah, sometimes yeah, they, yeah. they revert to being bad, like yeah. with Bob Hartley right. uh, and right. Paul McClain. See, right? like, I don't know, like this year, would Gerard Gallant st- still not have won it? I think he would have won it either think, way. I think yeah, he would have, yeah. I think, it's, I think it would have been a slam dunk either way. Yeah, I think he totally. still would have won it if you would if you had done it after the playoffs. Yeah. Right. So. And it, I mean, it is a tough award because it, I think it's more narrative driven than any of the other awards, other yeah. than obviously the Masterton, because everybody has a, a good story when it comes to the Masterton. But yeah, do you do it by points percentage? Then, then that's just the president's trophy. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. you can't do it by the Stanley Cup. That's the Stanley Cup. So I, I think you have to sort of give some wiggle room there and, and, it is a bit of a moving target. Yeah. But. And I think it's, it comes for a reason because, you know, the really, really good teams, the President's Trophy, Trophy winning teams, also tend to have a lot of really good players. So the perception for a lot of those teams is that, well, they're winning because they have all these great players. Like yeah. Tampa Bay's got Nikita Kucherov and Steven Samkos and Victor Hedman, Andre Vasilevsky, Braden Point. Whereas the teams that kind of come out of nowhere are often perceived as a ragtag group. And then the idea is, well, the coach is the biggest influencer on that mm. team. You know, you know, like Tampa Bay has at least five players that are better, who are better than anybody on the Golden Knights. So the perception is, well, Galant obviously was the, the biggest influencer on that team. Mm. Uh, next question is from L.A. Red Wing. So maybe this person lives in L.A. but cheers for the Red Wings. Or they're French. Judging French. by the La Red, La Red Wing. La Red Wing. And L.A. No. Red Wing says... Uh, so what do you think it's going to take for the Red Wings to be legitimate cup contenders? I have three ideas, but wondering what you think. And then hashtag LGRW. Is that like, let's go Red Wings, I guess? Must Probably. Be. Sounds yeah. like it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So what do you guys think? How, how did the Wings get there? Well, I think first off, the defense core needs a complete teardown. Uh, they need to improve their goaltending. And they need to wait. Essentially, they have some some contracts that are not of the most uh, friendly terms right now and they're going to have to continue to pay some of their young players um, like Dylan Larkin, you know, Philip Zadina, Anthony Mantha, like those 
they're starting to get a nice little core going, but it's going to take a lot of patience because you have to clear out the Darren Helms, the Justin Abdicators, you know, the you Franz have Nielsen's. the Franz Nielsen's, the Johan yeah. Franzen contract. Like they're, they're kind of like Minnesota in that way, but I think at least Red Wings fans know what's going on. Um, that you're going to have to wait a couple of years to, to ditch those, those old deals, keep getting some high picks. You know, I thought they drafted very nicely this year. So it's, it's a matter of keep doing what you're doing now. Do it for, like, you know, at least two more drafts. Yeah. And then by that time, most of those bad contracts will be gone, and you can really and push everything. And forward. when you have a chance to get all kinds of picks for a guy like Peter Mrazek, you take it, mm-hmm. yeah. which they did. Which they did. Um, see, the thing to me is 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 it's really dicey because Jeff Blashill. I mean, if 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 this team is going to get better, Jeff Blashill's got to make the decision to play the kids more, mm-hmm. right? And if he plays the kids more, he's going to lose more, and then he's probably going to lose his job. So it's, it's a real fine line that you have to walk. The one thing that we know 100% is that the Red Wings will never tank a season. They will not do it. They don't believe in it. As long as, it, the caveat is, as long as Ken Holland is running that team, mm. the Red Wings will never tank. If they are bad, it's because they're truly bad. Right. They're not tanking. And, and Ken Holland believes that's not a way to build a team and he makes very very good points about it um, because there are teams that do it all the time and stay bad forever Um, it creates a losing culture it creates all sorts of problems and teams young guys that come in learn how to lose and that's all they know Mm -hmm. and then they never make that 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 jump so so they are never ever going to tank a season but the reality is, you look at their roster, they don't really have to tank a season. No. <laughs> yeah. They're kind of bad on their own merits. So yeah. I would just say stay the course. Like you say, Ryan, keep getting the picks. Keep building up. You know, deal guys away for, for futures. Mm-hmm. Get rid of some of those contracts and just build it from the ground up. There's no there's no shortcut here. Right. And it, it's going to take time because to me, Zadina is a great step. But to me, Zadina is their first truly high ceiling member of that core. Mm-hmm. Um, Dylan Larkin's got a lot of talent, a lot of speed, but I think it's pretty clear now, like Dylan Larkin's not going to be a 90-point scorer in the NHL. Anthony Mantha's not going to be a 40-goal scorer. Maybe he's going to be a 30-goal scorer. Maybe, yeah. He's definitely not going to be yeah. a 50-goal scorer. Yeah. Let's, let's at not. least put it that way, right? Yeah. So, I, I, and even if you look at Dennis Chalowski, he's not going to be Eric Carlson, right? So the Wings have some good prospects, um, but I think Zadina is their first A-level prospect, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think they're going to need to amass more of those um, especially because you look at their contracts. I mean, you got four years left of, of Nielsen, five years left of Abdulkader. It's going to take a long time to get free from those deals. Yeah. The good news is, right now, you don't necessarily want to be good in the Atlantic because this is we're entering the time of, of Tampa Bay and Toronto, and I think Boston as well. Even Florida's on the rise. So if you're Detroit, you might be better off waiting. And then five years from now might be the better time to be good when the other yeah. teams might be to, on the way down. To me, it's, it's a matter of the... Darren Helms and the Justin Abdelkaders checking their ego and saying, okay, guys, I know I'm here for a long time. I know my contract's a bit of a burden here. But, yes, I am willing to be a third or fourth line player who teaches these kids how to be pros. 
and that's that's going to be my contribution to the franchise here you know yeah um and and so then you sort of bring these guys along you give the other guys a chance and justin abdelkader's not sitting there with the you know with the big heavy lip coming in every day he comes in with a smile on his face he comes in as a guy who wants to be part of the solution because they do have some you know i mean you're right they don't have any like cream of the crop guys but you know if you put together enough Dylan Larkins and Andreas Athanasius and you know Tyler Bertuzzi's and you can have a pretty decent team yeah sure and, and I, I think the other thing that the Red Wings have to start avoid doing is doing things like signing Franz Nielsen mm-hmm. for five years like signing Mike Green to a two-year deal at five point whatever you know um, that's that you know you've got to you've got to kind of put an end to those <clears throat> contracts it goes back and to then, the refusal refusal to tank yeah exactly but, but just because you're not signing some veteran who's not really going to help you that much to a long-term deal doesn't mean you're tanking yeah. it just means you're giving the guys that are there more of a chance yeah that's true uh, next question is from Devin Jenner and Devin says with the Truba contract done Jacob Truba, is it safe to say he walks after this season? Second time they've disagreed about his contract, and Patrick Laine's deal is coming. Oh, boy, Jets. If I'm the Jets, I'm pretty worried about this. And I, I, we were talking about this before the podcast, but to me, Jacob Truba wanted $7 million, and he's 24 years old, and I think you're better off giving him that money, getting him for his prime years. Now you're going to be going to a, a place where you could lose him eventually yeah. for his, his best seasons. Right. What do you guys think? Well, in answer to De- Dennis Jenneroux or... Devin Genereux. Um, he's not walking after the season. Not a chance he's well, walking maybe, after the season. Maybe he, means, or he or she means demanding a trade again or something. Okay, well, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. But, but he can demand a trade all he wants. But all the Winnipeg Jets have to do is to take him to arbitration again next year. Yeah. And he's under contract, yeah. whether he likes it or not. Yeah. So, I mean, he was the one who went to arbitration this year. You know, okay, so let's say he doesn't want to play in Winnipeg anymore, which it kind of appears that's the case. Um, then he doesn't go to arbitration. He doesn't accept his qualifying offer. He doesn't go to arbitration. Then the Jets just say, okay, well, we're taking you to arbitration. One-year deal. You're here for another year, whether you like it or not. So I I think he's there for at least two more years. What I don't really understand is why the Jets would not have opted for a two-year award on his deal. Because when when the guy files for arbitration and he's, not, he's more than a year away from unrestricted free agency, the team can opt for two years. Right. And I've had it explained to me, but I still don't really understand why they wouldn't have just said, okay, we're going to take a two-year deal. He's here for two years. You have two years to work on it. You know, it sounds to me like they went four, he was seven, the arbitrator went down the middle. It sounds pretty fair to me. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I mean, and that's, I mean, Jacob Truba has nothing to complain about here. He went to arbitration. He didn't have to file for arbitration. If he felt that strongly that he needed $7 million and he didn't think an arbitrator was going to give it to him, he didn't have to go. I mean, the Jets may have taken him, right. but he went there. He took that route. So he does, he does nothing to complain about, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think if you're Winnipeg, you have to look at the long-term ramifications of this on your defense corps, which is very impressive right now. Um, they do have a couple of options, like Josh Morrissey, he's only 23 years old, he's only going to get better, he's already pretty good. Um, Sammy Niku is another player that had a huge year with the Manitoba Moose in the AHL, and I'm not saying he's ready for full-time duty this season, but maybe the season after that, if, if and when, I shouldn't say and when, but if you lose Truba, you know, after next season. The only thing is, he's a right-handed D, 
both the kids I mentioned are left-handed D. They already have more left-handed D um, than right right now. There's Tucker Pullman as well. I mean, none of these kids, maybe with the exception of Morrissey, have the same pedigree as Truba. But I think you have to at least start looking at contingency plans because the Jets are in their Stanley Cup window right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, hey, they could win the Stanley Cup this season. It wouldn't shock any of us. No, we predicted Brian, it. they're going yeah. to exactly because we Cup predicted it on the cover of Future Watch yeah. a couple of years ago. Yeah. So I mean, if you win the Stanley Cup, it doesn't really matter if you lose Jacob Truba in two years because you won the Stanley Cup. Right. But you don't want to because he's such a great talent. But I think you at least have to look at those contingency plans. And I mean, the good thing about the Jets is that their pipeline is so flush that, you know, if any team could withstand losing a player like that in, an, in a year or two, it's probably the Jets. Interesting. And I wonder, too, if because they, they opted for the one year, maybe they believe they can try again next year and get the extension done, I guess. But either way, if I'm another team, like Jacob Truba is the exact player Wait. so many teams want. The right, right shot and mobile and shutdown and yeah. physical. He's all these things. But if you had gone two years, you still could have wait, got an extension done next year. Yeah, that's true. Because st- you, you can do it after yeah, July I guess either 1st. Way. Right? Either, Either way, way they going, still, yeah. and so it's there's a reason for it, and there's a good reason for it. And Kevin Chevaldeoff is very smart, but I just I don't get it. <laughs> and I'm lining I'm lining up making offers for a Jacob Truber right now if I'm sure. not intending to. Well, and then yeah, and so then then the question is is if it's not ultimately not going to work out, you know, and you think okay, this is this is not going to work out. Do you consider dealing him now? Well, he's still got two years of RFA Mm -hmm. uh, while the team still holds his rights for two years and get a boatload back. Or or do you just – you know what? To me, teams, I think, don't do this enough. It's just like keep the guy. Keep the guy. And then if if he leaves after two years, he leaves after two years. And as you say, you've got this two-year – two-year window to win a Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. So just keep him for the yeah. two years. And if he leaves, then and you're, if he leaves, you're not he paying him for his down, his decline years. Right. So maybe and, he does you a favor. And if he leaves, run. he leaves. And then you're, you know, okay, you move on. I say this about Chicago all the time. People say, like, oh, the Blackhawks have been in salary cap hell for years. It's like, no, they haven't. They won a bunch of Stanley Cups. Exactly. They managed yeah. the shit out of this. That's, yeah. they that's heaven. The heck they did them. exactly what the they intended to. The yeah. Cap. It's yeah. like, oh, Chicago's going to be bad this year. It's like, yeah, but they won Stanley Cups. Yeah. yeah. That's better than a lot of yeah, teams exactly. lately. Exactly. Yeah. And I look at these Blackhawks, man. Oh, this team's in disarray. Oh, my God. That's, yeah. Like, yeah. dude, get a grip. Yeah, that, was, that was the deal. <laughs> you had parades. This is the way it works now. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Uh, we got one last question here before we go on a little podcast hiatus, some vacation time. So we're going to end it with a, a real out there question from Jordan oh. Sampson. Just, it's, you know, it's something different. Okay. I think it's a good, it's a good question to mm. ease us into vacation uh, because it has nothing to do with current hockey. It's, it's an, a hypothetical. Jordan says, who starts game seven? Curtis Joseph, John Van Beesbrook, Olaf Kolzig or Ron Hextall. No Stanley Cups between them, but consider them in their prime against today's NHL. And, and Jordan mm-hmm. says, Cujo. Who do you guys pick? I say Cujo, too. We're well. talking today's NHL? Um, yeah, it but, says today's but NHL. Consider them in their prime. In so their like prime. Their, their skills NHL. are yeah. up to snuff. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to go Olaf Kolzig. I think his body of work and his size work best against today's NHL. And he, you know, he has been a goaltender that has carried his team very far in the past. He, as I said, didn't win the Stanley Cup, but at least he got to the final with Washington. So I'm going to go Colson. 
How many Game 7 Stanley Cup Finals was Hextall in? One or two against Edmonton? Uh, he was Those in years. one. And Hextall is my pick, by the way, because is to it, me, yeah. he's the guy that single-handedly almost got Philadelphia past the, the dynastic Edmonton Oilers. True. He won the Conn Smythe in yep. 1987. Yep. Yep. And the Oilers, I remember... But he didn't, eh? He didn't, eh? He lost. He didn't win Game 7. But he won the yeah. Conn Smythe. Yeah, 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 he didn't win the Stanley <laughs> Cup. Didn't win the Stanley yeah, Cup. he didn't, eh? That's the point of the <laughs> exercise. <laughs> I don't, I don't get I don't get what Ken's, where he's going with that, but the Oilers averaged like four goals a game uh, that season or at least, but he held them under three goals I think in like four of the games of that series, something like that. So peak Hextall to me was was maybe the best guy at his peak compared to the other three. Um, I, I just see I, I I like I'm old enough that I watched those series and. I never even got the sense in that series that Edmonton ever thought they were going to lose. Even when it went to Game Seven, it was like, okay, I guess we'll, I guess we'll win this one. You know, mm-hmm. I, I just never got, like, I never felt like Philadelphia was actually going to win that series. Whereas with Curtis Joseph, like, he single-handedly beat the Dallas Stars a couple of times mm-hmm. when he played for Edmonton. Like, right. it was, it was, it was absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, ninety-seven. Curtis yeah, Joseph yeah, yeah. Was so fantastic. Yeah. to me, I mean, a guy that battles like that. Uh, you know, a guy that, that, like, I don't ever remember him, like, in his prime, towards the end of his career, yes, but in his prime, when it was a big game, I don't ever remember him, like, pooping the bed, you know what I mean? Like, completely. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I always think that he sort of rose to the occasion, so that, that would be my guy. And then you got the Beezer, who also was, was crucial in taking out the powerhouse Penguins in 96, too. Exactly. Very true. Yeah. From, that was Mario's last monster, monster season yep. in Yager and Francis. Uh, but all good choices. Well, that's it for this week, everyone. And enjoy the rest of your summer. We'll be back. We'll be back. It'll still be summer when we're back. And uh, we'll miss you. I hope you miss us. <laughs>